Welcome to the MSA Podcast Production, a digital media art exploration of the Mississippi School of the Arts. Creative Expression is the flagship podcast program and is the idea that every artist has the freedom to share their life story in their own way. In this podcast series, connect with our guests as they share their experiences, offer advice, and inspire us all. The MSA faculty participated in a book study entitled Everyday Work of Art by author Eric Booth. We invited Eric to MSA to host a one-day workshop with the faculty. Join Suzanne Hirsch as she dives into a brief conversation with Eric at the conclusion of the workshop. So, hi, I am Suzanne Hirsch and I am here with Eric Booth, who is an author, a teacher, and a scholar of many sorts in the arts. Um, He's made a a name for himself in this field in being able to um, help teaching artists. I think that it seems like when I read your bio and your your passion for teaching artists is really where the strength lies for you. Would you agree? I would. In fact, I would introduce myself as the oldest living teaching artist, (laughs) that I happen to find my way into this hybrid job which is both artist and educator and where that uh, overlap lives. And that's where my exploration has been for the 40-something years that was uh, started. I came in as the field was starting to grow. So I've had the, the lucky chronology of being a part of helping a field come into the world. Absolutely. I think te- thinking of teaching artists and how art can influence all aspects of academic academia you know looking at all of the subject areas i think we tend to live in silos what advice might you have for teachers that are out there that maybe feel like they're in silos how can they think outside of that well i think the answer to that is partly in the the kind of instinctive separation we have around the word art that art is for those that art equals those disciplines, those few special disciplines that in some schools, not much here, but elsewhere, kind of protect their own turf and really think of the isolated essential learning you have to do within their field versus the other definition of art that is the one all human beings carry, which is more described as making stuff you care about and um, finding your way into investigating interesting ideas to come uh, to come to greater knowledge or to figure something out in every medium, it then becomes that you're bringing artistry into every subject matter. Sometimes it's as literal in arts integrated work where you bring in an art form like let's say playwriting into a history class and creating effective playwritten scenes, about historical events can not only invigorate the students, but actually is shown to produce more effective learning results. Absolutely. I mean, increased academic achievement by that arts integration, but it needn't always be quite as formal as the logistical challenges of bringing two subject matters together in a way that can work in a school. It can really be the more everyday artistry 
that teachers have so that you're emphasizing aesthetic investment in science and you're thinking about uh, qualities of observation and beauty and complexity in mathematics so that in fact we're recognizing the universality of artistry and making stuff you care about and when students are invited to discover the relevance of their subject matter and they can engage in that relevance they bring a whole new artist part of themselves to that learning which has been proven inarguably pr to produce higher academic achievement I think we see that on many levels here at the Mississippi School of the Arts. We just finished a book study with The Everyday Work of Art, which you wrote 22 years ago. Um, and it really does focus on finding the awe, the, the little nuances of life that make art a verb instead of a noun for all of us. And I think at MSA, we tend to see that verb happening on a regular basis in the classroom. Do you... Now, 22 years later, in all of the time that you've presented this book and talked with people, how do you think your position in finding the awe has evolved over the years? Uh, I mean, it's kind of a poignant question, uh, because for a number of years, I was pretty discouraged. I mean, that's the result of working with a lot with arts institutions that are really slow to evolve, working with famous conservatories there's a reason they have that name they don't want to change very much mm -hmm. and bashing my head against those walls trying to get change to happen in my lifetime was a pretty discouraging endeavor however I mean even to the point that uh, about eight years ago I had to take a sabbatical which for someone who's never had a job is a very expensive concept. It basically <laughs> means being a freelancer doesn't take work for a while to figure out what the heck you're doing right. or what you want to do with the last chapter of your work life. And over that sabbatical, which took two years, I became reinvigorated with the consequence of, of uh, the power of the arts really turned over to young people not just teaching them how to speak Shakespearean scansion in effective ways, but actually letting them rediscover and then make powerful stuff with the tools of theater. I rediscovered the power of that and was then able to introduce it into a lot of non-arts places that are producing the kind of benefits that everyone in a community cares about. So it isn't art off on the side, art apart. In my lifetime, I got to see the arts starting to make a tangible contribution to the way communities function and to the way individuals can navigate the quality of a life in a very complex world to navigate making stuff you care about, managing with you know debt and complex issues coming at you to actually use an artist's strength in that and not just the survival strategies that come out of scarcity. Absolutely. So when you start thinking about the everyday work of art, I understand you have a companion piece coming out. Can you tell us a little bit about that, that work and what's the title? When can we expect to see it? Sure. Uh, it took 22 years to write. And I'll, actually, I'll tell you the kind of amusing story that when the everyday work of art came out, 
I would go to bookstores to find it and to put it in a more prominent position in, on the <laughs> shelves to, let's just say, help in, increase its visibility. And I kept discovering it in the spirituality section as opposed to the art or self-help section, which is what the publisher had suggested to the bookstores. And this caught my interest that actually they were getting feedback from readers that this was a book that had some kind of spirituality connection. And that thinking connected with uh, a big part of my own life, which is in spiritual investigation and inquiry. And so I wrote a first draft of a companion book 20 years ago, and I thought I'd really kind of made it. I got a fancy agent who was going to like put it out in the world to be a bestseller. And right before the book went out, that, that literary agent died. And so I took another year and got another literary agent with this book, and he died. Oh, my. And having <laughs> killed two agents <laughs> with this rough draft of a book, I kind of backed away from it. I thought, I've, you know, I don't want to kill any more literary agents. <laughs> and, you know, maybe the time wasn't right. Right. And so I didn't think about it for 17 more years <laughs> until I stumbled across it a couple of years ago in my computer. I was looking for a paragraph I remembered writing way back when, and I found the paragraph and thought, what is this in? And rediscovered this writing, and it actually... Um, it needed a lot of revision, but there was stuff in it I wanted to explore. And so I spent a couple of years actually exploring this notion of the ways in which being engaged artistically and making stuff you care about, the, what you're actually doing when you do that, the verbs of art, how intimately they are related to the way we are functioning when we feel sp spiritually engaged. So it's about the overlap of art and spirituality and how it plays out in our life. And the title of the book is Tending the Perennials, the Art and Spirit of a Personal Religion. Oh. So okay. the idea is how can you put this to benefit in your life to enrich the quality of your religious living? And when will it be in stores? This one is the first one I've ever self-published. Okay. So I'm in control of the process, which I must say I rather like. And it will be completed probably in May. And so it should be in online bookstores early in May and tangible bookstores late in May. Wonderful. We'll look forward to seeing that. Uh, so you leave here, and you will head to Vienna, Austria. Vienna, Austria. So what are you doing there? Um, it's part of my all over the place kind of life. Uh, a big part of my work in recent years has been the opportunity to build the first international network of artists who work in communities and schools. So it's sort of teaching artistry, but moved up to the global level. This started in 2012 when I launched the first international teaching artist conference and people came from 26 countries. People who didn't even know what a teaching artist was came to this conference. And there's been subsequent conferences enough that now I've generated some funding so that the International Teaching Artist Collaborative runs year-round is starting to launch projects that bring artists with this teaching artist skill to work together to clarify their understanding from many countries around the world and in Austria it's a conference 
you see me going into a prayerful pose. <laughs> it's a conference of funders, oh. of European funders who might be interested in building an international network of artists who work in participatory settings. And so if all goes well, I come out of this conference with more money to invest in the collaborative to really engage more artists around the world. And aside from the conferences, how do those teaching artists continue to collaborate when the conference is over? Do you have a formal way of doing that with them? Up until now, it's been totally disorganized. Individuals fell in love with one another and kept in contact. A few of them found some funding to do projects together, but it was quite random until in September, this past September, we launched the International Teaching Artists Collaborative, which now runs year-round. So there's a staff that has coordinated three international projects and the funding is building a website where there's going to be ability to come together we're developing some new resources and we're just writing like this school a strategic plan that will carry us a number of years ahead uh, so it's the it's the first time there's ever been such a network so we're figuring it out as we go what draws in the volunteer uh, interest of people in very disparate cultures and uh, how do you connect to things the world cares about enough so that funders will rise to support the development of an international community. Absolutely. That's a wonderful cause. Um, I watch over my career and I know you've, you've witnessed it. You told us about some examples today in Dallas and some other places that you've, you've been and, and worked the transformative power of the arts and how it can connect daily life that you know most people would never even imagine with an artistic experience that can make a, a real transformation for someone's life. Yeah. Um, tell me some examples of things that you think um, you know the person out there listening. What the value of having a teaching artist is for a community. Uh, the kind of number one job of a teaching artist that's working in community is to activate the artistry of the participants they're working with. Once that artistry, that natural artist capacity that all people have as their birthright, that is squelched by many of the processes of normal growing up American life, many culture life, once that artistry is reactivated and awakened, it can be channeled to accomplish any number of things. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, the f area for the fastest hiring of teaching artists as, at this point is in, an, in a growing field that's called creative aging, which is to bring teaching artists into communities of seniors to get them actively creating stuff together. And the benefit is now been proven by some very solid research <clears throat> that it not only reduces healthcare costs, it not only reduces hospital stays and prescription drug intake, it improves the morale of the people in the center, and it actually adds years of life to the people involved in an extremely cost-effective way. So when you start saying, save a lot of money, improve workforce uh, you know, uh, attitude and produce health benefits, suddenly an artist working in a healthcare setting does not seem like a fluffy luxury. It seems like 
a previously unthinkable solution to an intractable problem. Uh, another example, there are a lot of arts in juvenile justice settings that as a part of taking kids who've found their way into trouble for lots of different reasons, and while they're in that awkward liminal period of either being in an incarcerated setting or just afterwards, making a significant part of that experience being e um, energetically guided making stuff you care about that lets you express how you feel in the world and developing the courage to share with the world this thing you've made in the belief that the world might care about it, that we're beginning to discover has the most dramatic reduction of recidivism mm. of any intervention that cities or states try. So it's another case where bringing in teaching artistry to a very difficult social challenge produces results that have defied every other means of accomplishment, bring in the artists. And the world is starting to recognize this. I can't believe I got to live long enough that I got to see it. This started to happen before I croaked, that <laughs> this thing I always knew and saw and felt is starting to be taken up by the world. In Europe, um, one of my projects is we're starting to bring intensive music education into refugee camps. These are really tough places and you have people from different cultures that are hostile and everyone's been through nightmarish circumstances and the one thing that brings them together in these refugee camps is the kids musical endeavors and they will have a concert every week even the kids have barely learned anything new, they have another concert because it's the only time everyone comes together as one to celebrate something that's about beauty. And they're finding the kids acclimate to their culture, this whatever new culture they're gonna be in, a whole lot better. So we're in the process of trying to institute not only music education in refugee communities in Europe, we're starting to find a way to do it in the U.S. border towns where kids who are being detained can actually have some arts learning mm. as a part of this difficult transition for them. Well, and I've witnessed, you know, students with language barriers and how the arts can take that comprehension level to a whole new place. You know, watching these students who can't communicate verbally but physically you know, dance is my background. So when we start putting these dance programs in arts-integrated uh, classrooms, it all of a sudden started to bridge these barriers that were previously there. Yeah. Um, One thing we consistently hear from classroom teachers who have a, a teaching artist come in and work with them for a while is that the kids who have been struggling hardest by the standard measures of success are the ones who benefit the most from the appearance of an artist. And that's not only good for just for their social achievement, but in fact, it reorders the, the sort of power system amongst peers. Instead of being the, the butt end of bullying, this kid now has a new kind of stature and a new kind of position Confidence. in front of the bullies right. that in fact opens up whole new possibilities for that kid. Absolutely. So today we actually had a workshop with all of our faculty. We were able to go through a lot of um, 
aspects of the book, Everyday Work of Art. And you presented a tremendous amount of information to them. And I, I think they all left just wanting another day to digest it. But what were your impressions of the faculty here and our environment? Well, this is a really unusual place. I've been to a lot of schools of the arts and they're lovely and beautiful, all of them. But I have never been to one that's quite like this. I've never seen a faculty that has mixed the academic aspirations with the artistic aspirations with so much sensitivity and interest for what they can provide for one another. I've never, I mean, it's rare to see any school that has achievement of this level, both the measurable achievement that different markers of academic success and graduation success, those um, astronomical numbers of yours, but the less visible uh, evidences of success, um, like 70% of your graduates continue to keep the arts active in their lives 15 years later. And though that is, ex there is no stronger uh, acknowledgement of success than those kinds of indicators. Extremely rare in my point of view. Also rare to have a whole faculty that is, is like passionately interested in pedagogical experimentation. Teachers in the arts are famously resistant to pedagogical experimentation. They think they know it worked for them, that's how it should be. But to actually see each person entertaining the many ideas I tossed at them as fast as snowballs in a snowstorm, to see them weighing the implications and the possibilities for their teaching. And then at the end, I gave a kind of rare challenge. I, I usually don't do this in a one-day workshop, but I thought, I think maybe I can go for it here, which is I invited each of the faculty members to sketch out an experiment they could imagine undertaking in their teaching to extend it in some way to enhance the artistry and the impact, the everyday work of art of their students. And there were some great ideas. I mean, within five minutes, they were coming up with practical experiments that I had never heard before and that I think would actually be bold original work and this was popping up around the circle of a faculty and that's extremely rare in my circumstances uh, and that, bear in mind this is a faculty that works long days uh, relentless long days and of course they were um, beautifully thinking a little bit about sustaining their own artistry recognizing that's essential to be effective with students and constantly coming up with ways to support one another. So rare in collegiality, rare in the quality of the thinking about how to become better. Well, we had a tremendous time and I enjoyed watching their wheels turning. I was able to hear a lot of the ideas and uh, I look forward to following up with them and see how they implement them. We've, we've done these book studies four times over the the past five years and in all cases they've taken aspects of those those as those books and brought it into their classroom for their students so I really think um, this one particularly hit home for me I read the book five years ago and then we were looking at our strategic plan this year it just 
unfolded perfectly and I think the stars aligned to get you here so we've been very happy to have you here today and we uh, hope that this will be the beginning of a relationship with you and we look forward to your book coming out well I will certainly let you know about that and I'm afraid you're going to have uh you're going to have trouble prying me away from the place um, because it. I can see why people get so attached to it. It's really a, an oasis of the beautiful potential of young people who are bursting into the world and then actually bursting into the world. Absolutely. Actually being recognized, making an impact, making careers, making strong positive decisions for their lives. Uh, a place where that is happening in such preponderant numbers, uh, in such a kind and supportive environment, rare. It's very special. So thank you so much My for seeing pleasure. that with us. My yes. pleasure. My pleasure. Right. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Creative Expression. We encourage you to stay tuned to our podcast series as we continue to incorporate this phase of digital media artistry into life at Mississippi School of the Arts. Launch our website at podcast.msabrookhaven.org where you can receive more information about MSA and the podcast series. The music you're listening to is Imani Skipwith on the ukulele a junior literary student. Join us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MSA Brookhaven. Until next time, Mississippi School of the Arts in Brookhaven, Mississippi. Now we rise, we fly, we shine.